20 years ago, when we started changing the town, it was down to 100 very poor people that were living there primarily because they had nowhere else to go economically. Commodity agriculture rendered rural America economically irrelevant. Nobody needed it anymore. And when we changed the way we farm, focused on the land and the animals, the community became economically relevant again. Bluffton, Georgia is a nice place now. Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. This is Where Hope Grows. Hey, everyone. This is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is brought to life by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. Hey friends, we have an amazing episode today, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So today, you're going to hear from Will Harris, the man himself in the flesh, up on stage live at our first annual What Good Shall I Do Today conference. Now, this was a regenerative agriculture gathering that took place right here on the regenerating soils of Rome Ranch in Central Texas. The event was put together by Force of Nature, and this talk, this presentation, was equivalent to a bison stampede. It was so powerful that that it shook the room like a Texas tornado. Now, Will Harris is a fourth-generation rancher at White Oak Pastures. That's in Bluffton, Georgia. It's an incredible story. He has taken his family farm from a very conventional industrial management practice towards a more regenerative, virtuous, upcycling model. And this guy is doing it at scale, bigger and better than anyone I know of. He is accompanied by his fifth generation daughters and his sixth generation grandchildren out on this farm. Now, Will Harris is a larger than life figure. And what I admire about him most is his ability to balance profound wisdom with absolutely ridiculous humor. Listening to Will talk is an absolute emotional roller coaster. So hang on for the ride. You're going to laugh. You're going to reflect on your own values. And we're going to look deep in our agricultural system and find wisdom and inspiration for change. So without further ado... Here is the one, the only, Will Harris. So my daughter, Jenny, who's supposed to be here, is less than overwhelmed with my ability to present. So she gave me a deck, and it is basic. I'm going to tell you how basic. Honest to God, you can come look. The first one says... My name is Will Harris, and I own a farm in Bluffton, Georgia, that is called White Oak Pastures. If you you don't believe it, come look right here. 
My name is Will Harris, and I own a farm in Bluffton, Georgia that is called White Oak Pastures. I wouldn't have said it if it, I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't right. <clears throat> so, Bluffton, Georgia. Bluffton is in Georgia. Georgia is in the South, and I am profoundly Southern. And if I speak to you in the vernacular in which I'm most comfortable, y'all won't understand a goddamn word I say. I tried to get them to have a little white writing that goes across, <clears throat> but they didn't. We wouldn't do it. But uh, so what's going to happen is I am going to carefully enunciate the words that are coming out of my mouth so you'll have a general idea of what I'm telling you. <clears throat> Next slide. <laughs> I am the fourth generation of my family to run white oak pastures. I am aided today by members of the fifth generation and the sixth generation is being raised there as I speak. You want to check that one out? You want to fact check that one? <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, I'm going off script and uh, tell you about the farm. So truly, my, my great-grandfather came there in 1866. There was an unfortunate situation that occurred in my part of the world between 1861 and 1865. Y'all might have heard about it. We, uh, my family lost the farm started back over on what is today white oak pastures. <clears throat> and what I enjoy most about the farm is how in the now six generations, 150 something years, it's come full cycle. You know, we, we Harris's are not good diary keepers and I don't know much about how my great grandfather and grandfather farmed, except what we historically know about farming in that era. <clears throat> but it would have been very uh, focused on the land, the animals, and the community. And uh, that's how they farmed, and they were successful, and they le left the farm to my grandfather, father, me. <clears throat> my father ran the farm in the post-World War II era. He was born in 1920. And his generation... Uh, really revolutionized agriculture. You know, if you think about it, post-World War II, Europe was starving. There was a, a dire need for uh, cheap, abundant, safe food. And the World War II set the stage to, to do that. It, it was... The, the, the effort to do that was overwhelmingly successful. It made food obscenely cheap and, and wastefully abundant and just so damn boring it wasn't worth eating. But that's, that's what happened. And it was, the, it was the, the, uh, the, the, the technology that was developed for World War II. Uh, Ray Archuleta there knows about converting uh, munitions factories and ammonification plants. And, you know, those guys that left Bluffton, Georgia in World War II, to, to go to World War II, uh, plowing a mule, operated tanks in the European theater. When they got back, they wanted a tractor. They didn't want a mule anymore. And on and on and on. It was just, it was ripe 
for a change. And the change was made, and it was uh, just an incredible change, but there were unintended consequences. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, uh, Ray, Ray is a, a, a scientist, and Zach is nothing short of a spiritual leader. And, you know, you've got all these influences. And, and you know, what I, you know, I, you know, I'd like to tell you, you know, I'm a, a, a billionaire or a scientist uh, and uh, here to change the world. But the fact is, I have none of those qualifications. The, the qualification I think I got is I am a practitioner. I'm a, I'm a, a herdsman and a, uh, a land manager, land steward. <clears throat> and I was the, uh, the generation that all the A and B students left and went to town and got good jobs, and those C and D students stayed and ran the farm. And that has, and I was the C student, sometimes D, but it served me well <clears throat> because it, I, I lived close enough to the land and had no interest other than the land that we figured out who, where we went wrong. And today we have returned to a focus that is all about the land and the animals and the community. The, uh, I'm going to talk more about the, uh, the land and the animals in a minute. I want to talk about the community right now. So Bluffton, Georgia, which is in Georgia, which is in the south, is, uh, had peaked in population in 1900 with over 400 people. And which is a tiny little town, but in that place in time, it was the trade center for about 15,000 people. I did that calculation. If you do 40 acres on a mule, which is how people farmed, purely agrarian economy, it's about 15,000 people that would have had Bluffton as their trade center. 20 years ago, when we started changing the town, uh, it was down to 100 very poor people that were living there primarily because they had nowhere else to go economically. Commodity agriculture rendered rural America economically irrelevant. Nobody needed it anymore. And when we changed the way we farm, focused on the land and the animals, the community became economically relevant again. Bluffton, Georgia is a nice place now. All right, so I'm, I'm a little off track again, but that's uh, where I want to be. You know, the, the, the fact is, during the era that my dad's generation changed agriculture, they, they, as I pointed out earlier, they did it for good reason, but they made a hell of a mistake. And the, the, the mistake, the, the cheap, abundant food, fell on the backs of the welfare of the animals, and the degradation of the land and the impoverishment of, of, of the local communities. <clears throat> and those uh, unintended consequences were unnoticed consequences for, for 80 years. And we're just now uh, figuring that out. And what's got to be done first is we've got to realize that we really fucked up. <clears throat> and, and until we make that uh, you know, come to terms with the fact that that's what that was. That was just a really bad mistake. 
well-intentioned, uh, uh, not even recognized as being a, a bad mistake, but a bad mistake. I'm going to go on a strip again. So <clears throat> a lot of people, I think, don't understand what the mistake was. And the mistake was we humans, through our skill and understanding technology, were the first species ever to break the cycles of nature. That had never been done before. You know, we, you know, the, I was uh, so impressed this morning when Zach talked about uh, the dinosaurs. Those dinosaurs, he talked about the, whatever Saurus that was, uh, three times as big as an elephant with a head as big as a horse. Can you imagine how nutrient dense that forage was that that son bitch was eating? That would have been incredible you know, we, we can't do that we can't do that anymore and that is when the cycles of nature were performing optimally and when the and when the cycles of nature are performing optimally the the, the bounty of nature the abundance occurs and if you don't believe it think about all that oil and gas and coal under the ground the fossil fuel i mean that's that is the energy from the sun when the cycles of nature were, were, were working well. And we found a way to break it. We're talking about what the cycles of nature are. So the cycles of nature are, you know, the, 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 the water cycle, you know, it, it rains, you know, the, the, the energy cycle, that sun shining out there, the, the mineral cycle, the, the, the uh, a microbial cycle, the grazing cycle. You know, I think there are cycles that we don't, we're not even smart enough to recognize. And those, when those cycles are operating optimally, all this abundance, is, and it's the only form of wealth. You know, the only wealth there is, is that abundance that we get from the cycles of nature uh, operating optimally. We humans, through our incredible arrogance, have, it just came to believe that we could create the abundance better than nature could. And that's just so, so arrogant. And, and we've done it for so long. You know, when we, when we talk about uh, what we did to agriculture, my father's generation did and what I did, I, I, I should hasten to add that uh, I farmed incredibly industrially for 20 years, you know, uh, went to the University of Georgia, majored in animal science, College of Agriculture, came to, <laughs> did you play? <laughs> the, uh, uh, what the hell was I even saying? <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the reason that I changed the way I farmed is I was so uber industrial that I didn't like it anymore. You know, I, I was, uh, you know, if the, if the label rate said to put out a pint of that pesticide per acre, I'd put a quart. I figured that that was a starting point. If it said give the animal two cc's per 100 pounds of body weight, I gave them four. Because if a little will do good, more, better. <clears throat> and, you know, it's like uh, if you go home and drink a shot of whiskey every night, you won't ever be an alcoholic. But if you go home and drink a quart of whiskey every night, and I have, 
you may, you, may, you may see the ugly side of it. So the reason that people like uh, Gabe Brown, Ray, and me and others, you know, we, we were probably the heavy-handed uh, people that just did it so much that we saw the ugly underbelly. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about, about how that all went wrong. So, you know, do, do you know, y'all know the difference in complicated and complex? Because I'm fixing to tell you. So, you know, this sound system is, is, is really complicated. It was real complicated when Zach was talking, but it's complicated. And, and, and what that means is there's a lot of things going on in there to make it work. And if one component quits working, it's game over. Y'all saw that this morning. Your body is complex. There's a lot going on to make it work. But if one component ceases to operate, everything morphs and it keeps going. Well, reduction is science. Ray talked about reduction is science. Reduction of science works great on complicated situations like that. Doesn't work so good on complex situations because of the unintended consequences. I think you even use those same words. A factory is a complicated system. And what we did, my dad's generation, my generation is, we applied that complicated linear factories system to one of the most complex systems in the world, which is a farm. And there were unintended consequences. Who would have who thought it? And what this is, is holistic thinking. And, and holistic thinking is the, the only, is the correct approach for a complex si situation. She, she called my attention to the fact that before, when I ran the farm, my farm, as a, uh, a factory, it was a, a cow factory, monocultural, didn't produce one thing. You know, at a shirt factory, you just produce shirts. But at a, in a complex system, it, it's cyclical. You know, today, I didn't tell you this, but, you know, today, as opposed to the factory model, just producing cows, today we pasture raise cows, hogs, sheep, goats, and rabbits and hand butcher them on the farm. And it's multi-species because each of those species has an impact. Our, our program is built on animal impact, animal disturbance of the land, because that's how it evolved. Buffalo going across here. We pasture raise chickens, turkeys, geese, guineas, and ducks for the same set of reasons. We hand butcher both of them on the farm. And those plants produce, those, those slaughter plants, yes, slaughter, slaughter plants, produce nine tons of animal waste per day. Guts, eviscerate, heads, hooves, feathers, da, da, da. And we take that nine tons of packing plant waste. I don't even like calling it that. It's a, it's a nutrient stream for us. We compost it. And we, it goes back on the land. So it's cyclical. Cyclical, everything is cyclical. But we put that linear factory model to it, and it, it didn't work, unintended consequence. The result of breaking the cycles of nature go beyond losing the natural abundance. It also resulted in pollution, climate change, species extinction, desertification, diminished resources, economic disparity, pandemics, rural impoverishment, 
superbug pathogens, overpopulation, and children with crooked teeth. I did that last one. I did the last one. But her points were very, I thought were very, very good about that. You know, the unintended consequences go beyond just the tragic loss of the abundance. Good news. Some of us have figured out how to restart the cycles of nature. It can be done. It can be done. It is not easy. It is not easy. You know, you to give up putting uh, uh, pesticides and chemical fertilizers and tillage on your land is is hard. Giving up uh, sub-therapeutic antibiotics and ionospores and hormone implants and feeding, confinement feeding, unnatural feeds to animals is hard. And I had to relearn what my daddy did teach me, which is that what you need to put on your land is your feet and on your animals are your eyes. And that's herdsmanship. And that is stewardship. And, and that's what we do. And, uh, you know, when I talk to, uh, when I talk to farmers about uh, uh, changing the way they farm, uh, what is that? What is that? What is that product? Let me think of the product. Trying that. They say, how do you how do you give up those tools? And you say, well, you know, you, you change, and you start using trinactin. Trinactin. Trinactin works wonders. That's what it means is you you try acting like a goddamn good steward of the earth. <laughs> All right. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk too much more. Uh, the, 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 the takeaway here is that the people who, who I know, my friends, who are changing the way we farm, uh, I said earlier, that they're not the best and the brightest. They're the C students that will sit down and shut up. Listen, sorry. I'm going to sit down and shut up. There's, a, you know, there's one great George, and I got a lot of respect for his name was Forrest Gump, and he ended by saying, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> so, take Okay, champions, let's take a quick break from the main stage of the conference. Now, this conference and this podcast were created, were inspired by the work of Force of Nature, Force of Nature is a regenerative meat company that sources from farmers and ranchers like Will Harris at White Oak Pastures. So head over to forceofnature.com or for that matter, head over to whiteoakpastures.com. I think it's safe to assume that I speak for both Will and myself when I say that as long as you're not supporting commodity industrial meat as well as the bullshit companies that greenwash, then you are creating real, tangible change. Change to land, change to rural economies, and arguably most importantly, positive change to your own health. And now, back to the main stage with Will Harris. All right. So much wisdom packed in this man's experiences in life. Can't ever get enough of it. So he's old and he's wise. But we're going to kind of just go off script, go commando. And uh, like Katie said, her and I have been heavily influenced by Will and have le learned tons of life lessons. One thing that Will taught me the first time I ever went to his ranch was 
if you want someone to pay attention to you, 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 you talk kindly. But if you really want someone to pay attention to you, you say, son of a bitch at the end of it. <laughs> and so what have you been saying, son of a bitch, at the end of it recently? That exact, that's close. We wasn't exactly right. My daddy said, if you, you treat people nice, treat people like you want to be treated. But if you really want to remember what you say, you say, let me tell you one goddamn thing. <laughs> and ended up, you hear me, you son of a bitch? <laughs> that, that's passion. I would freak, probably shit my pants if, if Will came to me. I mean, his daughters, that's got to be like trauma if, if he comes to him like that. So, so, so what, what's driving your passion and your fuel and, and igniting that flame? What's your message right now that you're emphasizing? Dot, 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 son of a bitch. You know, the 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 uh, the takeaway is that all these negative things that we hear about all day long are truly correctable. And but but you know I don't expect Bill Gates and and the boys to come to the rescue. You know that's what got us here. So you know you got to go you got to go where you see student. And, 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 you know, the fact that, so, so I, you know, we, I am proud of the changes we made in our farm. If that's, you probably go before the fall, I'll fall, but I'm proud of it. And the takeaway is those changes are highly replicatable. It's not highly scalable. White Oak Pastures is about big as it needs to be. We've got 180 employees, uh, payrolls $100,000 every Friday. We don't need to get in the book. We don't want to get in the book, but it's highly replicatable. It was done by a C student with bank debt, not a Rhodes Scholar with a trust fund. So it, 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 it can be done. And, and so we've spoken about different innate capacities and capabilities, characteristics that we all have and that are all very different. Some people are born with the gift of art or language or communications. What is, what is your gift that has allowed you to be so successful at, at doing land management? That, that so successful part is your words, not mine. I, I should tell you that uh, I'm obligated to tell you that White Oak Pastures is a $25 million a year business that breaks even. You know, if we if we, if we have a month where we made money, I make them go back and look and see who we miss paying. There's something, something wrong somewhere. So it is, uh, uh, this is the last thing that you'll take away from here is that we are bragging on the financial success of the business. It's okay. It's fine. If, if the goal was to have a super high return on investment, it'd be a dismal failure. But that never was the goal. Uh, <clears throat> So, uh, but what Taylor's getting to is, uh, I, tell, I tell them that you know, I believe that all people are created equal, born equal. And it's, you know, it's, it's clear that, you know, some people are born looking like Taylor and Katie. And that's, that's, a, that's a gift. And it's a gift that uh, is, is obvious. If you can throw a football 80 yards through a 15-inch tile, that's a gift. And you can see it. Or sing, or beautiful, or smart like Ray, or uh, all that. That's, those are gifts in there. But some gifts are not very evident. And, and the more complex the gift is, 
the, the more difficult it is to recognize. And I'm not saying I got this. I'm just, I was, I was explaining the world to you. I wasn't explaining, I wasn't explaining me. <clears throat> but the uh, <clears throat> a gift that I respect most is what I call the gift of fight. And the gift of fight, you can't see it because it's three things combined. It is tenacity, which I believe, now I know, is born in you or not. Some people have it, some people don't. Some people can throw that football through that tire, some people can't. It's courage, which I believe is taught. You could raise those two little girls to be courageous or fearful. That's up to y'all. And the, uh, the third one is strength. And strength is something you've got to work for every day. And if, you, if you're strong and you don't go to the gym, you won't be strong anymore. So that, if you have those three, then you go to the fight, not away from the fight. That's all I got to say about that. Shit, that is, that's good. We could end, end right there. Uh, Will Harris with the gift of fight. And I think that's just really profound and, and really beautiful and something that everyone in this room embodies um, and is embraced. And that's why you guys are here. And, and that's how collectively we can ignite and unite and make really meaningful, large scale impact. And so absolutely something I've, I've learned from Will. And even Ray today said, you know, a, a successful land steward implementing regenerative practices has to have that tenacity, has to have that grit and that willingness to work their ass off. And so this is all connected. You're hearing it from the leaders here. So let's, let's embrace that. Let's unlock those epigenetics and really run with that as a community. Um, one thing, Will, that you go to Bluffton, Georgia. And by the way, they have an amazing tourist economy now where you can come, you can stay on the ranch, they have cabins, they have an RV setting, you can get ranch tours, it's just an incredible place. So all you guys need to go, but as Will explained, you know, when he started managing the land differently, the rural economy had collapsed, it had become irrelevant. And so right now, as you've restored your ecosystem and you're rebuilding that and you're healing that, what kind of implications have you seen on the town? Well, yeah, I, I, I kind of touched on that, but you know, the, the town became relevant again. You know, the, we, we talk about our 180 employees, and they are almost all very non-typical farm employees. They look more like you and you and you and you than they look like me. And, uh, uh, you know, you bring those passionate, smart, educated people together and work hell out of them and, and feed them good and they need a place to eat and sleep and play and shop. And, and when you provide that, then you got a town again. And they couple up like mix. <laughs> okay, so the diversity in your enterprises, in the animals you raise, um, in the different revenue streams of your ranch, you know, you're a living embodiment of really embracing diversity, biodiversity, diversity in your spirit and your actions. What, what have you learned from diversity as you step back? So I often, we, 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 we have a restaurant, we cook three meals, three meals a day, seven days a week, and stu mostly, not mostly, yeah, mostly employees. And I, the table's like this, and I'll frequently sit down at the table, and I'll look around, and I'll say, I'm the only person at this table from the South. And I'm the only person at this table who has a farming background. 
I'm the only person at this table that doesn't have a handful of graduate degrees. And I'm the only heterosexual person at this table. But I'm the only, it's just on and on and on. It's diverse. It's diverse. That's what it's just diverse. Certainly there's some uh, resilience in that diversity. Um, you know, a lot of people ask you and they ask us, you know, they, they say, I, I don't manage land. I don't own animals. You know, I, I'm, I didn't go to agricultural college. I didn't study agriculture. I live in the city. What's the greatest thing that I can do to generate positive impact and help accelerate this regenerative revolution? Well, you know, everybody's not meant to farm. Remember that, that you know, we got we got to have people doing other things too, and uh, uh, you know. But the support of those people is is essential. You know the the greatest yeah. So the, the the greatest nemesis that this kind of farming has, and the the benefits that I hope you recognize that I hope I pointed out, the biggest nemesis is greenwashing, and being and I, and I just. I just hate that shit. I, I, I get emotional. Um, so being good consumers and supporting—I don't—I don't want your business. I want you to support a farmer that's near you. Uh, is the best thing you can do, and and not supporting greenwashing outfits. I'd rather you buy it from JBS and Smithfield than one of these greenwashers that say they do but don't. Those are the people that devalue what we do. Go ahead and get you some spam. You'll be all right. So do you, do you have a sniff test or some way when you're at the market and you're trying to decide is something greenwashed, is something bullshit, is something legit? How do you tell? And then how do you also preserve the integrity of this regenerative claim? Well, I call names. You got one here, and I already told him he is. <laughs> uh, the the hard part is that the the, the the consumers don't have the bandwidth. You, you just don't have time. People are busy, and and really, the only way you can guard against greenwashing is to uh, know your farmer, and and it'd be great if you could come see the farmer. My farm is fifty miles from a Holiday Inn and 50 miles from a mall, 50 miles from a, a Walmart. It's hard to do that east of the Mississippi. So we're rural. So, but we, 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 we fixed it so people could come and see us if they wanted to. And we got a lot of customers, and most of them won't come see us. But through the power of social media, they know what we're doing, and they know they could come look if they wanted to. And there's other, and it's not, this is not about white oak pastures. This is about good regenerative farmers in this country. And there's a bunch of them. Not enough, but there's a bunch of them. So I'm not asking for support for me. I'm asking for it for us. Awesome. I've also heard you before, Will, to that statement to elaborate, say that there is no revolution without the consumer. And that's something that a lot of people that aren't, directly managing land, you know, makes all the sense. You own all the power. Companies don't produce products that you aren't willing to buy. And so when you purchase those products, you're, you're voting with your dollars and you're supporting, you're casting a vote for the system that aligns, resonates with your soul and your spirit and your values. 
And so it really does go back on to the consumer. You guys wield unbelievable amounts of power. Um, you know, another question that we get asked all the time is, you know, I, this just seems too good to be true. Working within Mother Nature's principles and these, these principles of soil health, why, why doesn't everybody do it? You know, what, is, what have you seen as the biggest challenge to conventional industrial farming, joining and adopting some of these regenerative practices? You know, I, I, I think probably, uh, sadly, access to capital is, is first. You know, people who, people who uh, start to move in this direction, regenerative, humane, community building, agriculture, tend to think immediately, I want my own farm, and I wish everybody had one. But it is, I mean, you may want your own Michelin restaurant, but you can't just have it because you want it. It's a, a huge financial barrier that, sadly, you got to get past. Uh, alternatively, you can go to work in a system that exists. You know, these, that 180 people that work for us, many of them are people that uh, want a farm. Most of them want a farm, uh, aspire to have a farm. Some of them will have a farm, but some of them will just, just work in a system. There's nothing no shame in that. Uh, the, 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 the change in the way you farm is the fun part. That's what everybody wants to do, and that's and understandably. It's nice. It's fun. Once you find access to capital and have a farm, getting it set, get, get the restarting the cycles of nature like we talked about. I do that because I think about it like that guy at the fair spinning plates. That that that's that's fun. Access market access becomes a problem. Uh, uh, Processing is a problem. You know, consumers don't buy hogs and cows and sheep. They buy beef and pork and lamb. And, you know, Mike Lorenz was one of the best processors in the country. You got to partner with somebody like Mike. You don't, I don't recommend doing it on your own farm the way we did. That's what we did. But promise me, son, you won't do the things I've done. Uh, and in the same vein that they don't eat cows, they, they want beef and pork and lamb. Consumers don't consume where farmers farm. You know, we farm in places like Georgia and Missouri and Arkansas. And consumers, for the most part, in those zip codes got the high disposable income. So that market access of getting it to them is, uh, is onerous. It's got to be dealt with. It can be dealt with. Uh, I come from my, my farm in Bluffton, Georgia. That's in Georgia. That's in the south. Is <clears throat> in Clay County. Wikipedia told me that Clay County, Georgia, was the poorest county in the United States of America, not Georgia, in 2020, expressed as uh, household income, not per capita. And I don't know what the calculation, but my point is. We produce $25 million worth of product in a market that won't, won't absorb much of it at all. So that, that market access. How do you guys attract and, and how are you able to bring in so much talent to this rural area with so much historical poverty? What, what's the sauce? How do you get people into this? That, that, that's still amazing to me. 
And uh, but, but I know the answer, but it's amazing to me. And the answer is, you know, there. I mean, how'd you get people to come here? I mean, there is a hunger among a, a small, still small percentage of the country for this. I, I hate to say simpler, but this more natural way of living. And uh, it attracts, but the people that come to us on our intern program, we got an intern program that attracts most of these people. And we think about a farm intern program, you think about an 18-year-old kid, and most of them are not. Most of them are in their 30s, 40s, a few kids, but not many. And these are people who have been successful doing something somewhere. If, they, they, if you're hungry, you can't come to Bluffton and start interning. So they... Uh, uh, they're looking for something like we have to offer. We're fortunate. We've been doing it 25 years. So if you Google these things, we come up fairly high in the listing. So we uh, attract them. And, and, and we, you know, we try to hunt over a baited field. We try to make it nice for them. We want them there. That's awesome. Um, I think about different ways to look at land and know if it's healthy or not, know how the management is. And one of the things I look at are, are, are birds a part of an ecosystem, which you guys have some unbelievable birds, uh, probably some of the most incredible birds I've ever seen in my life. And, and that's always been like the first metric that I'll tell consumers. If a ranch has bird life, then there's an ecosystem in place. Can you talk a little bit about some of the birds that you've seen out at your ranch? You're talking about eagles, aren't you? <laughs> so uh, I'll address that. But the first part of it is uh, when we stopped using things with side on the end of it and stopped tearing up the environment with cultivation, we started seeing flora and fauna that I hadn't seen since I was a kid. I'd forgotten about them. I'd forgotten what toady frogs look like, salamanders. I'd forgotten what lightning bugs look like. I, I, I remember them, but I just forgot them. I didn't miss them when they were gone. When they got back, I could see them. So I knew, I mean, that's just like a, an indicator of ecological progress. And I'll say this, you know, everybody enjoys this Walt Disney view of nature with a, a bluebird on your shoulder and a little fawn coming up and, and a, a bunny rabbit and a butterfly. Well, that ain't the way that shit works. <laughs> there are insects and rodents and reptiles, and they part of nature too. And we got plenty of them. You know, uh, uh, I'm the only Harris that I know. No, well, my daddy and granddaddy both got bit by poisonous snakes. So, it, uh, now, what I think Tyler might have been referring to is uh, we never had bald eagles on our farm. Never. Never seen a bald eagle. I don't, I don't, my dad was dead by the time I saw the first one, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he'd never seen a bald eagle. When uh, one day I saw two in the pasture eating a, a dead lamb. When I was just took, I said, man, look at that. That's an apex species right there. We have arrived. And, and I thought it was pretty cool until they brought 78 of their best friends. <laughs> literally, literally uh, uh, the uh, raptor specialist from the uh, Fish and Game Commission estimated we had 78 eagles, and they were eating our ass up. And 
we, we, we figured it out. So the, the solution, I mean, it didn't come quick. We, we lost a lot of money in that, in, during that window. But uh, our, our pastured poultry is truly pastured poultry. They are out there. From the time, the time we talk about the Buddha, Bruda, they are feed our own grass till we, till we slaughter them. And we didn't even put a fence around them. You know, we, we, we held them where we wanted to with food and water and shelter. And we just, just, just moved it. Uh, we have guardian dogs who do a fantastic job with mammal predators, sharp-toothed predators. They just do a great job. We, we don't have grizzly bears and cougars. We got bobcats and coyotes, a, a plethora of small predators. And they do a great job. But those guardian dogs, like the predators they protect against, are nocturnal. So, you know, at night, they are out there with the poultry doing their job, doing great, doing best employees I got. But it, when, the, when the sun comes up, they clock out and go to the woods and go to sleep. And that's when the eagles show up. So what we did is we started putting fence around the uh, uh, poultry sets, we call it, houses, water, food not to keep the chickens in, to keep the dogs in. And predation fell. Now, we still lose some. Yeah, I don't mind losing a few. You know, I call it tithing to nature. But I don't want to lose piles. So if you get a chicken from white oak pasture, you're getting the most badass, strongest, resilient animal. It's like the gazelle that outran the lion. And that's how it should be, right? We don't want to eat weak animals and consume that energy. Um, so I love that about Will's Ranch. We're, we're out of time, but I just want to leave with one more idea, one more thought to explore. You know, looking at land and seeing birds and understanding if that's an ecological indicator of health. Another thing that I look at, just like how you can look at someone's dog, and it's a reflection of them, typically. You guys notice that? It's really weird. Um, I, I feel like looking at someone's family um, and the connectivity there is a representation and a reflection of how they treat their land as well. And so your fourth generation, your daughters are a part of the ranch, and your grandchildren are soon to be a part of this farm that you've created. What is your greatest vision of, of hope that you want to gift them as they take over the farm eventually? You know, you don't want to leave them with the, the obligation of coming home. You want to leave the opportunity, but not the obligation. And uh, in the case of my daughters, I have three daughters by my current wife, who's the only wife I've ever had. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I never thought they would come home and, and, and be on the farm. You know, they, uh, I, 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 that's all I ever wanted to do. When my, when my friends wanted to be firemen and baseball players and astronauts, I knew where I was going. And I, and, and I was raised to do that and wanted to do it, so it was great. But I've also had, I had friends who were similar, and they didn't want to be there. And they had that obligation. So you want to give the opportunity, but not the obligation. <clears throat> you got to be cognizant that uh, all good things come to an end. You know, there, there aren't family operations that have been going on for 1,200 generations. I mean, sooner or later, somebody's going to screw it up. And when they do, it's, it's, you, can't, you can't agonize over that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Will. Words of wisdom. This incredible man will be here the next couple of days.
So find him, talk to him, give him a hug. All right, Will, you're right. All good things do come to an end. And this podcast, this episode is coming to an end. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys took some notes from Will and are going to apply these deep wisdoms into your life to better optimize how you interact with the world, how you co-create with one another. My wife and I have had the pleasure of knowing Will for the last six years, and we have a pocketbook full of what we call Willisms. And when we need to pick me up, when we need to check our moral compass, when we need to be inspired, we will often find ourselves looking and reviewing our Willisms. And my favorite one, one that I'm going to leave you with, is something that Will told Katie and I when we first met. And he said, guys, the secret to life is this. There's only three things that you need. You need grass, you need cows, and you need money. Now, in our context, let's just replace cows with bison, okay? If you have too much grass, you need to buy more bison. If you have too much money, you need to buy more grass. It's that simple. These are the tangible, important things in life that add value, enrich communities, provide nutrient-dense food to one another, and provide a meaningful life full of joy and full of love. And now... Another willism for those of you who may not own grass or cows or bison. Okay, this one is super profound. Pay attention. Will once told Katie and I that if someone showed up to work wearing a pair of flip-flops, that he would send their asses home immediately because that meant two things. One, they don't give a shit. Number two, they're not hard workers. So he tells them to get their asses out of there. Now, take it or leave it. I think there's some wisdom in there and you could use or interchange flip-flops, sandals as a metaphor for someone who is unprepared for the task at hand. Now, I want to encourage you to follow us along after this conversation. You can follow Force of Nature at Force of Nature on Instagram, www.forceofnature.com please follow white oak pastures as well and at rome ranch all these entities are creating so much positive change and they're so inspiring and i hope you can join us in whatever capacity that you can whatever gift that you have whether it's the gift of beauty the gift of speech the gift of dance Shit, I don't care. You can do an interpretive dance and inspire someone to be at one with Mother Nature. And that's it. Well, maybe one more thing. Don't run away from the fight. Be strong. Be courageous. Run towards the fight, my friends. I will see you there. I will have your back. We will throw bows together. <laughs>